Hey, how's it going, everybody? You're listening to another episode of the Super Mercado Brothers Video Game Music Podcast. Thanks for joining us. This is the podcast where we share and discuss the very best in video game music. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. We are continuing our discussion of drums in video (laughs) games. Uh, We had so much fun last time talking about all of that chip music drums. We played Mm -hmm. some great, you know, 8-bit examples, some great 16-bit examples, and then into sort of the uncanny valley territory with early samples. Some later fake drums. On to maybe more, you know, slightly more convincing fake drums. But today, it's all about the real stuff. It's all real today, yeah. And we have a really fun segment uh, a little bit before the halfway point of the episode. So that is going to be really cool. And so I look forward to that. But yeah, what a different context. What a different vibe we're going to get today. Hopefully we'll get a couple of different examples from different styles of drumming, uh, different instruments, you know, different examples of what you can do with recording drums. There's so much you can do. I mean, I'm sure we've all listened to and seen outstanding drum performances before, whether it's with, you know, traditional drum kit or hand percussion or timpani or there's so many different you know types of drums and like i will say that we could honestly had like a five part drum episode and we could have had an episode that was just about ethnic percussion or just about bongos or congas i mean there's so many different uh directions we could have gone with um but yeah hopefully by the end of this two-parter our hope is that some of you might uh, appreciate the drums a little more, might be listening out for the drums a little more in the future. Well, and something that we didn't touch on last time because it wasn't really relevant, but is definitely going to be relevant on uh, today's episode, because now that we're exploring this modern era where it's essentially, mm-hmm. you know, these are just wave files or, you know, compressed audio files. These are it's all real no drummers. different than, yeah, what Except could be in a movie one, or TV actually, show. Maybe. There might be one in here that might not, not be real. <laughs> Right, but I guess what I'm saying is like the distinguishing point between media like film and television and video games is now completely gone in terms of what's possible. Um, and so what's interesting is that to me it seems that drums in the conventional sense, like what we're hearing right now, which is from Street Fighter EX Plus Alpha. So uh, good. Yeah, it's so fantastic. But I feel like this kind of use of drums is way more common in video games nowadays or in the modern era, let's say, than it is in films and television. Mm-hmm. Not saying that it doesn't happen a lot, but I feel like it that kind of sound is more common film and TV if it's like a musical or if it's a needle drop, you know, song placement that a music editor put in that's, you know, synced to some montage or something. We hear it in that context where it's like a pop song, but to be used earnestly in score, it's still such a common thing that so many games rely on. And I just think it's so awesome. And there's something about games mechanically that I think they really need drums, not just percussion, but drums themselves. Like there's something tribal in us as humans that like, I feel like we respond to that um and i think there's something about the sound of drums in video games that you know it does something mechanically to you know how we play them yeah absolutely so other than this one example on our playlist we have another very short playlist today um everything else is real and as much as possible i'm going to try to find the crediting of the drummers that we're going to be listening to uh sometimes it's hard it really depends on uh, kind of the liner notes on the official soundtracks, but 
There's at least three that I have here. And then hopefully as we go for the other ones, I'm going to see if I can track them down while they're playing. But let's start Let's start off. Okay, so I don't have the drummer, what we just heard from Street Fighter EX Plus Alpha, but what an outstanding drum performance and drum sound on that track. Let's move on to the GameCube era, to a game that we've actually played before on our GameCube episode. And in, in this one, ever since we played that track then, it's always been in my head. It's really an outstanding, unique drum track. It's from Mr. Driller, Drill Land, which was composed by Goshina, and the drummer for this soundtrack is Takashi Kun. And I think that might not be a full name because uh, the way that it's listed on the soundtrack is there's Takashi Dash Kun. So it might be a bit of a nickname there. Uh, let's take a listen to I.O. You guys listening to a killer piece of music and an amazing drum performance io for mr drill and composed by goshina performed by takashi kun on the drums here i mentioned this in the gamecube episode but so first of all we have a drum solo which is very rare in vgm in music in general <laughs> there's a moment i'm sure you guys all heard where the drummer is having so much fun his drum solo that he's kind of screaming he's like ah! <laughs> which definitely happens when you're really kind of letting loose on the drums Really great sound. It's so funky. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is right up my alley. Even if this wasn't in VGM, this is the kind of music that I love listening to. And Will knows that yeah. about me. This is like, oh, up absolutely. My alley. I mean, it's just so fantastic. It's well composed, well intricately performed. Uh, this is very unapologetically cheesy 80s, like sort of synth wave jazz fusion pop music. Yeah, uh, and the sound of the drums so flipping good. is definitely indicative of the era, this early 2000s jazz fusion sound. It reminds me of some of the early records, particularly the live recording records of Hiromi and her band, kind of a similar jazz funk live drum sound uh just just really yes. outstanding you know it's funny i was thinking of hiromi mm-hmm. i feel like compositionally like there's this kind of intricacy darkness but like appeal that is almost like minimalism in a sense uh that a track like this has like in that sort of ostinato riff it reminds me of like some of her music has and shout out speaking of drummers i got to give a shout out to uh hiromi's drummer at one point i don't think he's still playing with her but my favorite drummer she ever worked with uh martin valihara who's a slovak drummer and two of these really great live concerts um 
that she put out a long time ago have him on the drums and and yeah he he's a killer drummer too uh so yeah i'm excited to talk about specific players that we're hearing in today's episode to talk about their style what they're adding to the music um i'm excited to talk about yeah carl can you talk a little bit in more detail what specifically about this particular drum performance has you captivated as contrast with like the performance that we were hearing in the street fighter example well, it's a different genre, right? So with the Street Fighter example, I think it would, uh, to have a really busy, flashy um, drum part like this track has, I mean, this track, it's kind of, the drum is the feature, like it's, it's a drum feature. There's no doubt about it. Uh, to ha- so to have that happening on the previous track we played would have been really out of place and it wouldn't have been very tasteful. So the most important thing with the drums is you have to perform t- for the song and you have to perform what the song requires and... Uh, and the best example of that, if, if go back and listen to the Beatles. I mean, Ringo Starr is the most musical, tasteful drummer, you know, maybe ever. Uh, so yeah, it's a very different thing. And this, this is about having fun on this track. This is about soloing and funking around and right. I mean, listen to the slap bass, listen to the synth clav. I mean, every single musician here is having a ball and they're not taking themselves seriously. And it's kind of just a jam. It's a funk jam here. And the drummer is really getting a lot of room to let loose. Obviously they gave him that solo, but even when he's not soloing, um, one fun thing about the drums in this kind of music is you're kind of always soloing. Uh, you're playing a beat and you're kind of listening to the other players and you're maybe mimicking some of their rhythms. But at the end of the day, you have so much room to, to do a lot of tom fills and, you know, rolls on the snare and rim shots and all kinds of those techniques. And that's what we're hearing on this track. So really the entire track, there's a lot to listen out for and enjoy on the drums. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for sharing your insight. The reason I am asking Carl, if, if it isn't already plainly obvious, or if you didn't listen to our last episode, Carl is a drummer. That's kind of like, that was his pathway into... It's my primary instrument, um, yeah. I would say musical excellence, because Carl's a fantastic <laughs> drummer. As, you know, we know he's a great composer and songwriter and performer of, you know, multiple instruments. But I really wanted to do this two-part um, series on drums mm-hmm. because I wanted an opportunity to bring some of Carl's expertise in that realm to this podcast. Cause to yeah. me, it's crazy. We've been going for over 10 years and we haven't done something like this. I mean, I think yeah. we've talked I'm about drums, <laughs> of course, but like, I feel like it's just essential that we do something like this and we totally, have a really man. exciting segment coming up where pretty soon, we're going to go yeah. uh, really in depth. Let's move to a really interesting example of VGM drums here. We've loved it for years. I did a little edit on this one so that we can kind of get to what we want to talk about today. It's Strategy and Spying from Rayman Legends. And this was one of the pieces that was composed by Billy Martin, who's a great jazz composer. And clearly for his pieces uh, for Rayman Legends, he was able to get fantastic ensemble of jazz players, including a few select tracks that have real drums. Uh, And this track is so cool because the first drum sound we hear is that kind of Incredibles, Mission Impossible, James Bond, over-the-top drum sound. Um, But then later on in the track, it switches on a dime to kind of a 70s jazz fusion Herbie Hancock sound. And that's one of the things I love about the track in and of itself is we have these two distinct real drum sounds. Uh, different kits, probably different studios. So that's really cool. But the song is just awesome. It's a really funky and cool track. Let's take a listen to Strategy and Spying 
from Rayman Legends. Just the best. So funky. Okay, I love this drum sound. It couldn't be more contrasting to the previous sound in the part. A lot of ghost notes. Oh it's. I mean, God. this is 70s funk fusion drumming. Uh, if anyone likes this style of drumming or really likes this music, listen to Herbie Hancock. Um, the drummer Mike Clark is one of my most influential and favorite funk drummers. And this style of drumming here is definitely a send-up to him and others like him his peers from that era from the 70s it's just so oh intricate and tasty and yeah i mean this piece of music we could talk about how how amazing it is the arrangement and the composition and it, there's so many different sections to it so imaginative but yes this drumming is outstanding and it's it's an example of vgm where they nail a specific outside genre and when it comes to like 70s funk drumming i honestly can't think of a better example in vgm than this track yeah, I, it's it's really breathtaking. I the thing that I love so much about the way that this track also works in the soundtrack sense, because a lot of the music in Rayman is is very interactive and responsive to the great colorful animation and gameplay and everything. But the way it's arranged here, this sort of sectioned piece where you get that great tempo and feel mm-hmm. change. And we really do you know, get into the funk fusion section because it starts initially as this kind of hybrid. It's this sort of like rock jazz orchestral hybrid surf, a little bit of surf in there time feel. Yeah. It's really dissonant and, um, the other thing that, you know, all of this music exists within the context of like several pieces that, um, you know, within a given theme. So there's a mm-hmm. lot of like spying, spy music, kind of James, James Bond, Bond send up, Mission yeah. Impossible, Lalo Schifrin, Henry Mancini kind of send up music in the score. So what's cool about this track is this is almost like an alt of an alt of an alt kind mm-hmm. of take on that. And so hearing this out of context, context we hear this incredibly original but like spot-on genre piece kind of thing and just so if you know you're not familiar with this score which you absolutely should be and i definitely think this game is um didn't get as much love as rayman origins and i mean i think that's because it came out on the wii u but it's available on it's an it's an incredible game And one of my favorite soundtracks of all time, if I'm being honest. So we're going to play one more piece of music before we go to a segment, uh, which we're both very excited about. 
I wanted to play an example of a fairly modern piece of VGM that is rock. So rock drumming, we have distorted guitars here. It's it's a battle theme. It's an RPG battle theme. Um, it's kind of indicative of this traditional style, but for so many years we had to do it with chip or sample drums, and now it's it's a real treat. We can have a real player do it. This is a very tasteful drum part, so I'm excited to talk about it. The drummer here is Toshiharu Okajima. The composer is Yuzo Kashiro. The game is Etrian Odyssey Nexus. Let's take a listen to <laughs> Battle 2. Love this track. Love this example of really tasteful and humble rock drumming here. This is Battle 2, and that might not be the actual title. It's what I found on a different version of the soundtrack. This might have an, a different name in the official soundtrack. But it's it's some battle track from Etrian Odyssey Nexus, composed by Yuzo Kashiro, performed by Akajima on the drums. And I really love his playing here. I mean, he's not adding any more than he has to. On this, the track is already exciting enough. Um, this isn't like a final battle, so I think it's really important that this drummer doesn't go full bore here. You know, he's really locked into the groove. He's playing some fills like, very occasionally. Um, I think he's probably on like a 7 out of 10 intensity level, so I think that's actually very intentional for the fact that, you know, this isn't the biggest battle in the game. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I just really effective, really tasteful drumming, a great track, and a great example of rock drums yeah i completely agree and you know it's very hard for me to just focus on drums me too there's a piece that's this good and also we can't such confidence we can't isolate channels today can we will right so yeah that's that's another good point where one of the advantages that we had last week was that so much of that music is it it exists in these kilobyte size programmable files for these you know basic 8-bit or 16-bit synthesizers or samplers and so you can isolate channels really easily you can even do things like change tempo and you know actually mess with the files themselves uh but the that that's also a great learning tool and i think how we were able to focus in on specific parts today we have to really train that part of our ears where it's kind of like with your eyes you know you can have the same field of view but maybe you're shifting your focus from looking at an object in the foreground to looking at an object in the background and that's kind of like what we have to do today you know we want to really focus in on um these drum parts and sometimes in a track like this the drums are much more functional and less of a feature than they were on something like the mr driller land io mm-hmm. 
Um, but I, I still think that it's like they're contributing so much vitality to this piece. Like this yeah. piece would be a fraction of what it's really capable of and what it's executed as without this not only drum part, but, uh, you know, drum performance, really. Yeah. And, and one reason why I wanted to choose this, uh, it's very traditional. We have two main different types of backbeats and grooves that the drummer's playing, uh, one of which is a great beat to set up anticipation and to kind of really get people listening, okay, what's going to come next? And it's four on the floor, so we just have the kick drum on all floors, do, 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 on all four chord notes, I should say. And then just the hi-hat. Right. And that's a really, it's an exciting beat, but it's definitely a lot quieter and more restrained than a typical rock backbeat. So what's cool is that eventually that backbeat comes in and it feels like it's opening up. Uh, and so, yeah, that's just a really tasteful choice uh, and just a great soundtrack, great composition. It's a real treat to get uh, Kashira music with real players. So now I think is probably a good time to go to our segment. Will, do you want to cue it up at all? Absolutely. So I'm really excited. This was honestly one of the first ideas that I had when I thought of doing this episode, which mm-hmm. was I want to get Carl behind the drum kit and I want to get him to explain some of uh, these concepts, whether it comes down to specific patterns mm-hmm. in his playing or um, really just dissecting what goes into a VGM drum part. And um, also, I really wanted to explore how uh, someone could take a chiptune drum part, something written, let's say, for the NES or the Commodore or, you know, even... Um, you know, the Genesis yeah, how you translate into the 16-bit. How do you translate that into a live performance? So I'm just so excited to dig into some of this and to get Carl behind the drum kit. It's going to be fun. Let's do it. Alrighty. Well, I'm so excited for our next segment <laughs> that we have here. Uh, we are fortunate enough to be live in Carl's studio here. He is sitting behind the drum kit as we speak. <laughs> And true. we we really wanted to, for at least one of these episodes, get to tap into some of Carl's expertise as a drummer. Um, and we thought it would be really fun to try to discuss a little bit of some of what we were talking about last week with the 8-bit chiptune drum sounds and mm-hmm. kind of trying to create drum parts that sound authentic to actual performable drum parts, but also right. just in our broader conversation of drums in video game music. Carl, why don't you start us off by just giving us a, you know, an idiot's guide, an introduction <laughs> to... Um, all of these incredible bells and whistles that you have in front of you. Yeah, so what's really special about the drum kit is that it's actually made up of a bunch of different instruments. It's not just one instrument. It is and it isn't. Uh, And so let me walk you through the different parts of the drum kit uh, and and some basics. For some of you that might not be familiar, we've been talking a lot about drums the past couple weeks. So uh, the modern drum kit as we know it and as we've known it for the past, you know, 70 or so years, uh, we have the kick drum, which sounds like this. And you play that with your right foot. There's a pedal. Uh, We have the snare, arguably the most important part (laughs) of the drum kit. Sounds like this. It's called a snare because there's some metal wires on the bottom head uh, that are called the snare. Uh, And so it's a very special drum because it has that very bright kind of popping sound. And you can actually turn the snare on and off. Uh, with a little switch here. So when you turn it off, it sounds a lot like a tom-tom. So here's 
Here's with the snare off. With it on. So when we think of the sound of a backbeat in any pop music track or rock track or funk track, jazz track, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be on the snare. Next, we move to the hi-hat over here. Uh, it's basically uh, a cymbal. So a lot of you know what cymbals are basically metal circles that you hit <laughs> that have a metallic sound. Some of them have a very long, washy sound. Some of them have a more of a tight, precise sound. So the hi-hats is actually pretty diverse because it's two cymbals that come together. There's a top and a bottom. And when they're closed, and there is a foot pedal here, it sounds like this. And when it's open, it sounds like this. Uh, the the most common thing to do for heavier music or rock music is somewhere in the middle. We call that a loose hi-hat. sounds like this. You've heard that sound before. So a lot of different tones you can get on the hi-hat. So, Carl, one second. I just have a quick uh, clarifying question. What is it that makes that um, loose hi-hat sound have that kind of aggressive quality what physically is happening just for our listeners that aren't able i'm fortunately yeah. able to you know see everything that's going on here but yeah for people so that are just listening. so it's it's all about that sustain right and if we think of the sustain that a distorted guitar has uh, a loose hi-hat matches that really well and the way that it uh, it's happening is the top and the bottom piece imagine if you had two pieces of metal that when you had them really tight together there was a tighter sound there wasn't as much resonance um, when you have them away, for like two trash can pieces, basically, uh, when you hit them separately, there's going to ring out more. When you have them just a little bit, so they are touching, but they're not as tight as they could be, um, that's what gives us that sustain. So I'll go from fully tight to loose here. So I'll play one hit so you can kind of hear the sustain. So really what you're hearing is you're hearing the two pieces of metal vibrate against each other. That's what you're hearing. Now, what I'm so struck by is that when, you know, especially in the context of uh, this week's episode and the episode we did two weeks ago, uh, when I hear the sound of that sort of loose, aggressive hi-hat, it is very similar to the sound of kind of a white noise it's generator with a filter cut off. Yeah. And part of the reason why that is, is because symbols of almost any instrument have the most equally distributed uh, frequency response. It, meaning yeah. that uh, when you hit a symbol, it, much like white noise, it creates sound in almost every possible frequency, as opposed to a lot of pitched instruments where, you know, the loudest frequency is at the fundamental yeah. pitch that is being played and then the harmonic so series. So before we get too in the weeds, I do want to finish up the kit here. So uh, we next move on to the toms. Uh, so I have two toms in my kit. That's pretty standard. We have the high and the low or the floor. Uh, some drum kits will have three toms, even four toms. Uh, so seventeen. Kind of, I've heard <laughs> these are, sometimes happens. <laughs> these are complicated drums because they're not typically used for part of the beat, part of the backbeat. We touched on this last week. Uh, they're usually used for fills, but you can use them uh, in a lot of different ways. But more kind of the flashier part of the drum kit. Then we have some other symbols here. We have the ride symbol. And the ride has a bell, which is uh, the center of it. And actually, every cymbal has a bell. Uh, Hi-hat even has a bell. Kind of sounds bad, though. And then we have uh, crash cymbals. 
Most drummers have about two crash cymbals. I have two. Here's my left crash. And my right. You can kind of hear them panned that way. Uh, so, yeah. That's really all the elements of the drum kit. I'll play a very basic backbeat so you guys can hear it in context here. Very end of that, you heard me play a fill. I was utilizing the toms there. Uh, so, all right. So that's that's a crash course and what the drum kit is. Will, do you have any questions as a non-drummer that may help our listeners learn a little more about drums today? Yeah. Well, the question that um, just popped to my mind just now as you were talking about the crash cymbals, uh, I can understand the utility in having two, especially if it's a piece of music where you need two crashes in quick succession. Um, right, you want you different colors. Both ringing out. But yeah, speaking to that sort of different colors idea, what do you find that you're looking for um, to be similar and different in your two crashes? Is there one that you want to have more resonance, one that you want a little mm. bit dead? Is it more about like pitch, one being higher, one being lower? Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, it's just some contrast, and it doesn't need to be extreme, but some contrast in sound. And I think that can come, for me, pitch and brightness and darkness. Uh, so if you listen to my two crashes, definitely different in, in both of those aspects. And so they're different, and also they're placed different physically, and uh, drums are always panned in a very precise way, so... The, there's overhead microphones above me so the left crash is going to be more left in the mix the right crash is going to be more right and honestly that's maybe the most important reason to have two is when you're hearing a, a rock track or any track with drums and you have <laughs> moving back and forth between the left and the right is a really appealing sound and if I was playing an aggressive song and I only had one crash and I was doing <laughs> You're going to get sick of that tone. You're going to get sick of that that part of the stereo field. Hmm. That's really interesting. Well, and that brings up kind of another topic that we haven't touched on yet, which is that, you know, you described the modern drum kit that we're kind of familiar with for the last, you know, 70, 80 years. Um, but really that it isn't one sound it's a it's you know right. every drummer has their own personal sound but also um the genre of music is you know determined yeah. so much about the way that a drum kit is set up and what even specific drums you're using since you're someone mm -hmm. who you know writes music in lots of different genres but also plays in several different bands of varying styles how do you sort of navigate what gear to get and for instance like the snare that you use um, is there a particular genre that was, you know, at the forefront of your mind when you were purchasing it of like, I want this to have a really good rock sound or I want yeah. this to ha to sound really good for funk drumming? Yeah, for me, it was important to have a versatile snare, a snare that sounds good tight, sounds good loose. And what that means is how hard you crank. Um, basically, every drum has these you can consider you can call them nuts if you want to and you're kind of cranking them you're deciding how how tight you want it to be that's the tension of the drum and it's basically raising the pitch uh as well and so uh, there's a lot of snare sounds that are really bright and really tight 
and there are a lot of snare sounds that are the opposite. They're really loose and dry and kind of feel like a cardboard piece of cardboard. As you may expect, the latter, that would be more of a funk, a typical 70s funk sure. sound. And a very uh, tightly tuned snare, that would be something more like a band like Sublime or like a reggae, like a rock reggae sound, like 311 or Sublime, something like that. Uh, and so there are many different styles that sound good uh, with different snare tones. So I wanted a snare that sounded good in, a many, in many different genres. So if I'm playing funk or... Or really, if I'm playing kind of jazz funk, I'll kind of split the difference and not go too tight, too loose. Uh, if I'm doing something really like Wolfy kind of funky, I'm going to bring it way down and maybe even put like a T-shirt over the, over the head to really deaden the sound. Um, and then there are times when I really want to crank it up and like particularly focus on playing a lot of rim shots. So this would be an example of a rim shot. where you know the stick is is hitting a lot of the rim of the drum as well as the head and that as you heard is a really cracking sound and that can be really cool when the the tension of the snare is really tight so really yeah, it depends on the vibe you want um you know if you're playing something more jazzy uh something like this You know, the, the way that I have the snare right now, I actually really like that for that kind of a sound um, because it's just kind of right in the middle. It's, it's beefy, it, it's fat enough, uh, but it sounds good when, when you do the rim shots. So it's kind of a nice uh, balance. So yeah, most of the times these days, I, I try to have it kind of in the middle. Mm, that's awesome. Well, I mean, there's so much to talk about with the drums. You know, we can talk about um, some of the technique aspects and we can talk about, you know, the miking of drums as its own other can of worms. But I kind of want to get into some actual technique and playing and um, actual like talking about drumming itself. I think a yeah. good place to start would be we touched on last week that one advantage advantage of a lot of chiptune drums due to the limitations of just having a limited number of channels is that so much you know vgm chip music drum parts uh actually end up emulating a linear drum technique linear drum playing mm -hmm. which you described a little bit last week but can you yeah. expand a little bit yeah, on that's a that? good call well yeah i, I want to give you guys an example of what i was talking about last week with linear drum beat and I'll actually play it for you so again it's one surface at a time so those are all different surfaces right so here's an example of a linear drum beat There you go. Can you contrast that with maybe a, a similar kind of beat, but one where you're yeah. playing multiple things at the same time? Sure. So the real difference is the hi-hat, right? The hi-hat is, is, in that second example, was constantly being played even when the snare was being played or even when the kick and and you know i was actually doing that on purpose and i was accentuating the two such as this hmm. loosening the hi-hat for a particular snare hit to add more excitement uh, to add more of an exclamation point to that that particular moment so there's a difference there you know will i thought it would actually be cool why don't we why don't i show everyone how i would approach playing an nes tune 
uh, on the real drums. And this is something that is really useful for anyone who's in a VGM cover band. A lot of drummers have to figure this out. How do you take an NES tune? How do you listen to the part, listen to what it's going for, but then try to translate it to a real drum kit? So why don't I do that just for a little bit here? Sweet. So let's take this final stage from Shatterhand. Uh, we're going to listen just a little bit to what's there. And then I'm going to try to play along to it and see what I would do if I was actually going to be performing this. Uh, because you can't just play the part exactly verbatim. That would be a little boring, hearing that on a real drum, uh, on a real drum kit. So let's do that here. go just a little taste uh so i was listening to and i know this song very well listening to that nes drum part which i believe is just noise um and if you listen to that part uh it's it's something like this there's slight variations here and there but it's a very very bare bones drum part so there are certain flourishes uh, and syncopations that you would definitely want to add if you were if you were playing that. So that's just an example of how tricky that can be to find that balance. So what specifically in that track were you trying to bring out with some of the other ghost notes and some of, like you said, the syncopations? For me, I was trying to bring out the groove and the rhythms of the bass and the riffs that were happening. Really trying to to find something that locks into that and approach it as if, if I was hearing, instead of NES triangle and pulses, if I was hearing those lines come from guitars and bass in this room that I'm sitting in, sure. that's what I would do. I would start playing that. And so it's kind of an instinctual thing. Uh, I know the song really well. I know what the groove is, is about. And so it's kind of, and, and you know, I've actually never played that before on drums. So you're hearing my first instinct. There's a lot of things I would do you know, I would polish it up and I would do my homework. And that's that's just my first idea. So that is by no means like a polished drum part. Um, but I just thought that'd be interesting for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess what I'm curious about is um, I think it's one thing to have a drum part like this that is very simple um, and just like a repeated one or two bar loop, essentially. Um, but, right. you know, like some of the drum parts that we were listening to last week, for instance, actually were quite complex and we're getting close, not a hundred percent, but getting close to uh, a composed sort of yeah. part that you could imagine realizing fully on the drums. Mm -hmm. Do you have an example of something that's maybe not like one where it's maybe an iconic part. So you want to capture enough of the specific details, but you want to invisibly add some more stuff to make it feel fuller and a little bit more you know i have drums. a good example i haven't played it um but i'm thinking about that outride a crisis uh that classic racing arcade track and if it has some to me some classic or even though i think about the outrun stuff uh like a lot of the tracks in the original outrun arcade soundtrack if i was going to play that on drums there's these classic parts um like magical sound shower for example these classic 
for me, these classic moments when, uh, you know, the, the drums are doing, it might be like a goofy fill or it might be like a really complex hi-hat thing. Uh, so I think it would be important to balance that while still making it playable. Uh, so some of that stuff comes to mind. There's a, there's a lot of examples, honestly. I was even listening to like Outrunners um, earlier today and trying to think, oh, is there anything I could bring in from that? And even France, which is a track that we play in our band, um, when I was listening to the part, uh, the actual kick and snare w- was pretty easy. It was pretty straightforward, kind of this funky swing feel. But the hi-hat part was really intricate. A lot of that kind of stuff. So if I, I honestly couldn't play that while playing the beat. Which is that kind of a thing. Um, it, it would be impossible. And so if I was going to play France from Outrunners, I would do something similar to what Jaime does in our band, something like this. Something like that, which is in some ways even simpler in, in an odd way than the arcade original. Um, but right. in, in other ways, it's more complex. So yeah, it's it's a hard balancing act. And that brings me to another question, Carl. Like uh, One of the things that we've been um, exploring... Uh, on today's episode is you know real actual drum performance um but there's a whole facet of drumming that we've sort of left out of the discussion for today which is uh electronic drums in uh potentially like edm drum sounds things not necessarily like chiptune drums but uh whether it's um, using an old, you know, eighties drum machine right. or a, something created with any number of virtual tools, but what are the sort of similarities and differences do's and don'ts and what, what translates and doesn't translate between this real acoustic drum kit and the way in which, uh, an electronic drum part might be. Constructed? Well, well, I think that's a great, maybe kind of question to wrap up this segment. One of my favorite things about a real drum kit is the expression and the contrast and dynamics that you get, it's pretty insane how much dynamic variety you can get out of a real drum kit from incredibly quiet to deafeningly loud. Uh, And that's something that you don't really get in electronic drums as much. Um, But genre-wise, like the types of beats that people put into drum machines in the 80s, for example, or early electronic music, that definitely carried over into the way that acoustic drummers... uh, incorporate some of those rhythms and some of those beats into their music. One example would be drum and bass. It's a really popular approach for real drums, uh, especially for funk or for jazz. There's a lot of like modern jazz groups where it might be upright bass, might be piano. The tune might be, you know, just you might call, oh, this is a nice jazz tune. But the drummer, what he's playing might be a really kind of out there drum and bass groove. And, And if you listen to that music, drum and bass music it's electronic drums and breakbeats and stuff like that but it's really intricate stuff you know um and you can get that vibe on on the real drums it would be something like this it's it's tricky to do um but it's it's this kind of a vibe here so i'm a bit rusty on that style but that's that's you know we've all heard that kind of music before 
So the kind of breakbeat style for people, uh, you know, familiar with the history of the, you know, Amen break and mm-hmm. kind of how that one fill was sampled and used in so much music. Uh, um, I think a lot of us are familiar with that kind of sound being used in a variety of genres. Yeah. But I'm curious, Carl, like to actually perform that, you know, it's, it seems like a very difficult technical thing. Yeah. Could you just slow d- that down a little bit? And you don't have to do obviously exactly what you played, but to just get Give us a little bit of the sense of what's happening rhythmically in terms of some of the syncopations. Yeah. When you slow it down, there's a lot more things you can do and a lot more ideas that can come at you. Uh, One thing that happens with a lot of that uh, style is this kind of a thing. We're kind of interrupting. Almost like a record scratch kind of a thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, when you play it slower, you know, it's a lot more easy to do that kind of stuff. But, yeah. So, at the end of the day, one of my favorite things about a real drum kit is, is the expression and the dynamic contrast that you can get. And hopefully some of our examples that we chose today uh, for our playlist convey that as well and that's what's so exciting about the evolution of vgm is when you can incorporate and this is the case with all kinds of real instruments when you can incorporate that expression and combine that with really great composition it's a really exciting thing and and you know it really is hard to argue against the power of the drums well carl thanks so much for um taking us into your world and uh for sharing some of your knowledge and expertise on the drums with us. It's really cool to get this perspective of, you know, the actual drum kit and real human playing. And that, you know, we've talked a lot about human touch and the importance of the human element in music, especially for something like video games, which you're kind of always fighting against that uncanny valley so i think this is it's a really cool first and i hope this isn't the last time we do something like this on yeah the podcast, absolutely i mean this is a ton of fun and i great. hope that it was enjoyed by drummers and non-drummers alike ah that was so much fun <laughs> <laughs> thanks everyone for indulging us a little bit there it was a nice no, change thank of pace. you carl that was great of course and, my pleasure um, i'm i'm certain that um there will be a lot of people out there who will be interested in that discussion i hope so and i just think it's so cool to get this perspective you know like I I don't know for me personally in my life I feel like anything that connects me to a real physical tangible expression of music making is a really special thing and you know it's one thing to program beats inside of a computer or to you know listen to songs on Spotify but like to actually you know be interacting with someone hitting a drum you know making music in a very primal acoustic way like i don't know i'm i think that's a special thing and i'm i was glad that we could have that be a part yeah it was of a lot of fun and, and i'm excited to think of other examples uh you know maybe next time will could take the reins on something maybe be behind a piano there's going to be a lot of other fun ideas hopefully we'll do <laughs> yeah in the i think we know a lot of better pianists than me <laughs> if we wanted to do something so like that. if you enjoyed that definitely let us know because uh we had a good time and hopefully that adds a different level of context and we have a few more tracks to talk about today so i thought it was good to have that segment um you know, before the end so that we can maybe have a slightly different 
conversation and context with the remaining tracks on our playlist. We have three more and then also a play out. Now, this next one is an interesting example. Will had the idea that finally on a drums episode, can we play a track? And, you know, normally on this podcast, we would not really play a track like this. A track that's just all about the drums Uh, and not a drum kit, but ethnic drums, big taiko drums, cinematic drums. And that's really what this is about. It's about that rhythm. It's about that uh, sense of conflict and maybe fear. There's not really a melody in this track. Well, how would you how would you set up a piece of music? Well, like this? this is the a- aggressive produced, you know, out of the Hans Zimmer cloth, you know, a big modern epic Western yeah. cinematic drum sound. Totally. Um, and it's usually a mixture of a variety of ethnic drums. The Tycos are the easy ones to call out because I do think there was a period of time in the earlier 2000s where mm-hmm. a lot of people seem to just be using almost like the same right. I don't know, fake sample Tycho drum patch. But um, I do think that that trend has very much died down. But still, these big, aggressive, often now it's a mixture of like electronic with some kind of acoustic, but it's like um, these big, produced, aggressive drums over, but still with an orchestra involved in some And it way. is also probably worth saying that this track we're playing is from 2011. And so it's not as modern as, you know, we're going to hear uh, with the, the most recent tools. I'm pretty but that's sure... that's good. Mm-hmm. And, that's be- and one of the reasons why we wanted to do something of this era rather than something that is more in that, like, I almost consider it like cyborg drums when you start using, like, EDM drums mixed in with the, um, you know, it's like, I I think this track is still tethered to actual sounds of, you know, people hitting objects. Like it's right. very, it still has a very acoustic drum feeling for Even how though, produced um, and impactful. Yeah. I'm pretty sure is. every single thing you're hearing here is sequenced. Um, Definitely. I'm, yeah. And that's so, sort of the style of this music of sampled drums that are, you know, edited and chopped to be really they have to be so quantized and precise to so this will be punch. interesting this is a sound that all of us have heard millions of times but today we're gonna play an example of it boss theme number one from skyrim composed by jeremy soul let's take a listen You guys are listening to the Boss Theme 1 from Skyrim, and we could have picked any other... (laughs) There's thousands of choices just in VGM that we could have picked for this sound and for this vibe. Uh, This is a very popular game and soundtrack, and so it felt like 
this is a pretty good example. And it's an example of a track that, to be honest, we would never play on any other episode. <laughs> it, uh, yeah. it it bores me, to be quite honest. Yeah, it bores quite me honest. to tears. <laughs> um, and that's what I wanted to talk about. It's so interesting. This is a track that is clearly all about the drums because they're so loud in the mix. They're much louder than the strings are. And they're so busy. I mean, it's... it's um, it's quite common for boss themes, battle themes, any sort of conflict in movies or games to have it mostly be about the drums. Uh, so it's not anything that's reinventing the wheel here. And Well, it's mostly about the drums, but it's the most, like, stock, generic... Right. Like, it's just so generically action. What you hear a little more these days, and I think now we've had years and years of this vibe and so people are you know kind of getting sick of it and want to do something different is a lot of times you'll have some unique element added where maybe you hear a frame drum there's like a breakdown and you hear some other drums or you know like a combination of of different actual real world ethnic drums that are that are really recorded and performed that can add a level of intricacy and vibe I guess what's interesting is like Hans Zimmer does get a lot of flack from composers who maybe like you know, more fun, colorful, melodic, or harmonically rich music, whether it's, mm-hmm. like, more classically or whether it's more, like, fun, video gamey, tuneful, whatever. Um, but I, the thing is, is, like, actual Hans Zimmer scores, for the most part, um, they they have a lot more interesting detail and, like, great performance on them. And it's you kind of can't take that part of it out and this is what i hate about so all of the like imitation of that style is that so often when it's done in games and in television it's not done with that same budget there's not the ability to have that like great human performance and so it just all feels so generic and stock and in the box so yeah i think you know especially in the context of our segment today talking about the expression that not just drum kit but just real drum performance any type of drum performance uh, expression and dynamic contrast that the drums can allow. This is an example of how we're not really getting that benefit. Uh, it's a, it's, you know, fairly modern soundtrack, and it sounds all good. I mean, the the samples are are very good here, um, but we're just not getting enough of that human element, and maybe that, to be honest, variety. And well, maybe and that, so much of this maybe that works for this particular boss theme. Well, and so much of that kind of stuff also has to be the blame has to be put on, um, you know, filmmakers and video game directors and producers that Mm want to play it safe and want this sort of bland rhythmic music that's out of the way so that it doesn't really grab your attention, but you feel it hit kind of like trailer music, but a little more, less in your face and more like yep. feeling it subtly. And I, I totally understand that, but I just think it's such a cynical approach and a composer like Jeremy soul, who's known for doing stuff like the Harry Potter games. It, this track feels cynically composed to me. It feels <laughs> like, Oh, they just want a little dun, 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 dun. And it just doesn't have like, it doesn't feel like this was, earnestly written in because he was really excited about this combination of instruments this feels like a functional piece of action that's definitely what it feels like and there's a lot of this kind of stuff in games and so for anyone who's wondering you know like oh how come you don't play more of this kind of music on the podcast 
I guess this is why. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and again, just to be fair and to be clear, there are much more exciting examples of this kind of thing where you have more Certainly. real performance and more combinations of different, more interesting drum sounds. Um, but yeah, that that <laughs> that's a type of, of drum track that yeah, is I think not our favorite. We just have to be honest about the reality of it. Because like if we... If we only cherry pick the the very best examples all the time, sometimes mm-hmm. we misrepresent that like the reality is like a lot of games and a lot of movies yep. do have kind of boring stock drum parts. And, you and, know? and here's the last thing I want to say is there's a big irony there. Drums are exciting. Drums are very loud. Drums have a lot of drama that is associated, right. <laughs> associated with them. So it is very interesting and sad and ironic that we can have a track that's so loud and should be so epic and to me it's the least interesting uh, of the day Uh, so all right let's move on to my favorite track of the day (laughs) this is an outstanding example of jazz fusion drumming here uh, orchestral jazz fusion drumming the drummer here (laughs) is Senri Kawaguchi she played on Princess Connect uh, which is (laughs) what we're going to play here she's an outstanding Japanese jazz fusion drummer she's very young I think she's currently about 25 only Uh, this is a track called Gargu from Princess Connect and it's composed by Kenta Higashioji let's take a listen Absolutely masterful drum performance here. This is Gargu from Princess Connect. It's composed by Higashi Yoji, and it's genius. <laughs> performed by I Kawaguchi. Bow. I bow to him. He is and, and to her. I mean, one of the greatest living this composers. Drum part is so so outstanding. It's every single hit is exactly where it needs to be. She's not missing anything. She's really listening to the entire orchestra and responding to so much more than a lot of drummers would respond to in this. Yeah. Uh, we hear a lot of this kind of thing in video games where it's this rock orchestral hybrid. It's it's quite common, at least by this point. We've, we've all heard many examples of it. And the drums are almost never this exciting. She has moments to do really flashy fills, but the entire, she's not doing it all the time. She's not overstaying her welcome with the track. It's right. still very musical. And this is one of the hardest things to do on the drums to be very musical and tasteful and to always be thinking about the piece of music and really elevating it, complementing what's happening while adding that excitement and those moments for flashiness, those moments for speed. 
the drums are a really exciting instrument, and we want to hear drums go fast. We want to hear really exciting drum fills, right? right? So she's giving us that, but she's also being so tasteful with it, too. And when she goes to that, like, super halftime, that, like, half-halftime feel is just like, oh, it grooves in a way that you know there's not a lot of other tracks that do yeah i mean this is just one of the most incredible things like i've never heard music like this like higashi oji is both doing the functional sort of like big you know rpg action battle music orchestra thing um, but he's also getting into this like Ravel territory with these right? beautiful woodwind and string textures. It's so gorgeous. But the drumming brings a piece of music that's like a nine out of ten. And the drumming makes it like a freaking fifteen out it, of yeah. ten. And, and it's here's so the, here's the other interesting. Thing. And it highlights things in the orchestration, which is like I've never really experienced before. Well, here's what's so special is that Kawaguchi, you know is of her era. She can't help it. She's a, she's a young woman, you know, right now. And so she is probably listening to and being influenced by some music of today. Obviously, I'm sure she, you know, listened to the old jazz greats and some classics and stuff. Um, but she's a modern jazz fusion drummer. And she brings that style, that precision, that sense of power. Um, she brings that to her playing, but she's so incredibly tasteful and sensitive to what's happening in the music. So to have that, it's I mean, it makes this track so feel good. modern, but also kind of futuristic <laughs> and timeless. It's just, it's yeah, amazing. I mean, the thing is there's, to me, sometimes we play music on this show. That's like, you just have to embrace how cheesy it is and you love it. But like, when I listen to Higashi Oji's music on Princess Kana, there's nothing freaking cheesy about it. Like, it's big. <laughs> it's full. Maybe it's saccharine even. It's just amazing. But it is not like corny or cliche. It's so interesting. And it's so polished. But it's music that is, you know, crowd pleasing. It's music that's very much like wanting you, you know, to have it, a lot of fun. Princess and Connect I just, is God, I love such that. an embarrassment of riches because clearly there's so much else about the score that the ever evolving score that we love and that we could talk about. But it also happens to be one of the best examples of drumming in VGM, recorded VGM. It, it just is. So that's really awesome. I want to go to wherever, like, I imagine this whole team of composers, like, all working in one building together. <laughs> I'm sure it isn't like that. And living there, after too. the pandemic. Like, like firefighters. I bet, you know, they all work they have a pole. They have a pole to slide down when but they need I to. I would love to just down. go there as, like, a retreat, like a monk, and just study <laughs> in the ways of Princess Connect. Me and too. I want to learn how to write music like this. Like, because, geez. It's okay, just, so this is another ugh. great example. Uh, you know, so Kawaguchi is a jazz fusion drummer. Uh, we played that IO track, which, again, is, is somewhat of a jazz track, jazz funk. Uh, this is a little bit more jazz but it's a very specific humorous take uh, in style of jazz and i think it's absolutely perfect for a really animated fun colorful game such as sly cooper thieves in time it's an outstanding score predominantly composed by peter mcconnell and we don't have the drummer sadly because all we have i'm sure peter would maybe know but all we have is the nashville scoring orchestra based in Nashville, Tennessee. So I don't have the drummer's name. However, this is a feature uh, for this drummer. The name of the track is Howitzer Hippo. A lot of humor in this. Let's take a listen. 
Very interesting. You guys listening to Howitzer Hippo from Sly Cooper Thieves in Time, composed by Peter McConnell. It's performed by the Nashville Scoring Orchestra. Uh, there's other drums happening, a lot of percussion happening in this track, multiple percussionists, possibly. We do have a drum set player. Eventually gets into that, you know, typical swing pattern, which I played very briefly for you in our segment, which is played on the ride cymbal, and you have the hi-hat clutch on the backbeat. It's a really goofy track. There's a lot of offbeats that the, the drummer or drummers are hitting. One thing that Will mentioned is this is by no means a perfect performance uh, from the percussionist or percussionists. There's a little bit of that human element here. There's times when the rhythms, the timings are a little bit imperfect, we, sh- well, we can and just it's say. Not- not to pick on the percussionist. No, it's no, not just, just the percussion. It's everyone. You know, it's a, not yes. as tight as like this is a live. It doesn't sound like it had the biggest budget. Like I'm sure they didn't have time to do as many takes as exactly it would have taken but, to but, get everything. But that perfect. is almost what I love about this. Like this is an example of the human element. I mean, you can hear this music as being performed by humans together, and that's what it feels like. That's what it sounds like. It's a great composition. Um, you have just a little bit of taste. To that jungle sound I was also alluding to yeah. in the segment. The most famous example of that is is the track Sing Sing Sing, which is a jazz standard, which has a beat that is predominantly on the floor tom. So uh, we all know that song. We all know that sound. And so that's one of many things that Peter was probably thinking about with a track like this. Um, so yeah, it's right. it's a really God. cool example of jazz drumming. I mean, he just nailed the writing in this, though. He did. I mean, it's just, it's so... It, it's I, my I'm compelled to say it's spot on because it's it's very much going for a genre thing in the way that like Cuphead is going for a genre thing. But at the same time, I feel like it has so many of Peter's specific humorous and edgy and sort of dark kind of personality in it. You know what I mean? Like it. Yes, it's a big band kind of thing, but it, it has his own personality to it that it's like it's hard to define with words and i love when a composer can do that where they can both be a genre and be themselves i think this is why koji kondo is so great because i mean you think of every mario soundtrack there are all these different weird genres Mm -hmm. every track is like a different genre piece but yep. it's like there's still him in there. And guys, again, we could have played so many other examples of great drums. It was an overwhelming and daunting task to think about. Hopefully we covered a decent amount of ground here, especially with that segment. I think that we'll let you guys know a little bit more about how how drum beats are constructed and the challenge of bridging the gap. I know it's a challenge a lot of uh, VGM cover bands have of how do you perform old you know, chiptune drum parts on a real drum kit. It's a challenge that... You know, it's it's kind of an unsung thing, and there's right. so many different styles and genres. Uh, so for for a drummer, I mean, there are drummers that specialize in rock, and they probably wouldn't know how to play jazz at all. There are drummers that can do a lot of different styles. There are just straight up jazz drummers that wouldn't ever want to play metal, for example. So everyone has their specialty, and hopefully, we showcased some of that talent. Uh, the last drummer we're going to feature today is our on our playout track. The drummer is Yoshinori Imai. And the composer is Yasunori Nishiki. This is 
Octopath Traveler. It's an outstanding drum track. It's decisive battle to some great fills on this one. Very tasteful playing. Absolutely. Man, today's episode was so much fun. And that topic uh, is something I would really like to come back to specifically, you know, um, realizing chip drums in Mm -hmm. a live performance setting. And I think that might be a great opportunity to bring in Jaime, the drummer for the Mercado band. That would be really fun. Um, I mean, he's, you know, we refer to him as the fourth brother. Um, totally. I mean, we're, we're that close with him, but that would be, I'd love to revisit that topic. And I'm also so glad that we ended with this Sly Cooper track, because I do feel like one of the themes of today's episode is the importance of live performance, the importance of an individual artist bringing their uniqueness, their specific approach, and not just like this composed part, but the way that they play it with expression and human touch. And so it's like a piece of music like this that we talked about, yeah, it has these little imperfections. They Not all the players were perfectly together, but it's real and it's breathing. and it's beautiful you can agree to this right drums out of any instrument is the instrument that most often composers don't even know what they want a lot of times they'll say oh just play something you think is fitting not in the case for for sly cooper i'm sure peter you know had a chart and everything but definitely if you think about like io or if you think about possibly even that street fighter track uh a lot of times it's like okay this is the this is the kind of groove and then you show it to the drummer and they just play something how many composers really know exactly what drum beat they want yeah especially if you're coming from more of the like record producer song world where you're used to collaborating in bands and stuff you're used to a drummer just kind of like writing their own part exactly composing and notating a drum part while it's possible and happens all the time I feel like it's really hard to compose and write a drum part that is as interesting and as tasteful and beautiful as like a drum part by just a great tasteful drummer. Even Absolutely. if you are a drummer, like there's a lot of when you're trying to drums. notate everything, you're you're gonna have a tendency to leave cool stuff out because it'll take more time to write. So yep. those parts always end up feeling mechanical. To me, it's the same as like whenever they would take. I used to sing in choir, and um, whenever they would take like a pop song and try to do it for choir, they would always simplify and butcher the rhythms because the real rhythms that the pop singer did are so subtle and difficult to notate (laughs) that they would just end up making them eighth notes or something you know, yesterday, uh, my trouble seems so yeah, far exactly. away. Like it, they just like ruin that kind of thing. And so sometimes it's like getting an individual's, you know, spontaneous, slightly improvised, real performance. In some ways, the drums imperfect. are the ultimate instrument for that yeah absolutely well guys i had a blast with these two episodes let us know what you thought of them especially let us know what you thought of this segment we did today hopefully it can be the first of many segments like that um yeah i'm just really excited this has been a really fun new era and we're always excited by different ideas and this was a really fun one. Um, thanks, Will, for you know all of your other ideas to go along with this. I think you had the idea to do that uh, drum kit segment and stuff. And so, yeah, I, I had a ball well, with this. Secretly, I've always wanted Carl to do a podcast about yeah. drums. Like, you, it's not a secret. You've, you've said it many times. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> we'll just have to yeah, settle for so occasional segments. This is, 
yeah, this is a nice transition into that. But well, we'll thanks everyone for joining us. Uh, we're gonna play you out with Decisive Battle Two. One thing I did want to plug. Um, I, some of you may remember last summer around this time, maybe a little earlier, I released two volumes of something called the Columbia Chronicles. Yes. Um, and they were basically two albums representing my first two semesters. Um, at Columbia. Now I just finished grad school and I've been working on collecting uh, volumes three and four, which would be my third and fourth semesters. For for these two, I've actually separated it. So it, it isn't exactly the third volume isn't just third semester because the music I did this year was all so eclectic. I decided yeah, it would it's be better, better to, to organize to them yeah. by almost style. So one album is a little more serious and one album is more kind of like, I think me, more fun and video gamey. Um, so those will be out by the time of our next episode. Perfect. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to release it on Friday, but uh, we'll... We'll be on the lookout <laughs> yeah, we'll on definitely... Will's Bandcamp page uh, because those are very enjoyable. I can't wait to listen to those for well, sure. And We're I feel sort chronicle. of interesting. Like I want to, I want to let people know that it's out, but I don't know that I'm going to like push promoting it too hard because it's very eclectic. Like there's some things <laughs> on okay. there that, you know, don't sound like anything else I've ever done. Well, before, it'll be good and for I your don't reel. I know how I feel. Right? It'll be very good real material. <laughs> that's, I've heard that a lot. Look forward to that, everyone. Thanks so much. I think that's about it. My name is Carl Brugman. And I'm Will Brugman. Have a great week, everybody. Peace out. Peace <laughs> out.